take the Word of God with me and turn to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 4 tonight, 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to look at the first six verses this evening. 1 Peter chapter 4. As we look at 1 Peter chapter 4, you're going to see two types of will. We see one in chapter or verse 2 and then another in verse 3 that are contrary one to the other. And the book of 1 Peter was written to strengthen the brethren. It was one of the challenges that, that Jesus gave to Peter. After, he, after Jesus, knowing Peter would fall, he looked at Peter, Jesus did, and he said, Peter, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he had come through the trial that he was going to go through rejecting Jesus and uh, coming back and repenting and turning back to Christ. Uh, he was, he, his job then was to strengthen the brethren. And we're going to look at the first six verses, 1 Peter chapter 4 this evening. The Word of God reads, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of life. Speaking of evil, who shall give account of what is just in This cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Now, Heavenly Father, as we open up your word, we've read it, I pray you'd help us to understand it now and apply these things to our lives. God, guide us with your spirit. May he be our teacher. We love you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. You have two different wills that are competing with each other here in, in the book of 1 Peter. You've got the will of God in verse 2. You've got the will of the Gentiles in verse 3. And it's not hard for us, especially to think, when you think about God and the Creator, he fashioned the world, he formed it, he created it with order and with purpose. It's not hard for us to say, God's got a plan for you. God's got a purpose for you. God's got a will for you. For many people, though, the challenge is, is they struggle because they are working so hard to try to find the will of God for their lives. Yet I honestly believe in reality that that's the wrong question to ask. It's not, God, what is your will for me? But... God, what is my purpose in your will? Maybe just a little different way of, of phrasing it, but thinking about it. You know, so often we're hunting for that perfect will, that, that massive plan that God has for us, when he's clearly revealed factors of his will for each of us very clearly in his word. And I think Peter addresses some of that tonight in regards to the flesh living in the sins thereof versus living after the will of God. And for many people, I would say that the reason that they're struggling with the will of God for their life is because they live their life day in and day out in the lust of their flesh. 
They live according to their own desires, their own cravings of their flesh, and the sins thereof, the lusts thereof, that God can't reveal his will because, well, plainly they wouldn't want it. It's more lip service, God, I want your will, but then when I leave, whether it's in prayer or in the house of God, I leave, I just go back after the lust of my own flesh. And we want to look at this passage tonight and see some things. You know, from the moment of salvation, from the moment that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us, we are to to the will of God. Look again at verse 2. That he or you no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. The moment of salvation, God said, listen, you're done with the flesh. It's been crucified. It has been put away. Now your goal, the rest of your time. I like the way that Paul, Peter said that. The rest of your time now is to be focused on the will of God. That is your purpose. That is your focus. We're to focus our attention on what God wants for us. Not, verse 2, our own lusts, our own desires. And Peter very clearly says, listen, there's, there's to be a stark difference. There is to be a major difference between the will of the Gentiles, the will of God, what a Christian should be, what a lost person is. There is to be a major difference. And what I want to do tonight is just give you two things that will help you. Simply two things that will help you live the will of God for your life. Not necessarily, God, what is it? But live it. Okay? What are those two things? And Peter addresses them for us tonight. So they're found in this passage of Scripture, but just two things tonight that will help you live in the will of God. The first thing tonight is found in verse 1. If you're going to live in the will of God, you have to have a militant attitude against sin. Look at verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. This is, this is a military picture. It's a picture of a soldier grabbing that weapon and, and preparing for battle. It's, it's a militant attitude. It's the idea that I am going to fight sin. I'm no longer going to accept it. I'm no longer going to live in it. I'm no longer going to appease it. I am now going to fight it. Arm yourself, right, guys, with the stain. Do you see what the battle is like? in your mind. You know, so often we try to battle sin outside and we accept it inside. The way that we view sin, the way that we uh, allow it within our own minds, the things that we accept within our own minds, within our minds affects that attitude. Oftentimes, we, we go to restaurants. There is a mood that they establish within a restaurant. That mood is to be relaxing. I don't think anybody would, would have a lot of fun unless you're going to like Dave and Buster's or something, you know, where you're purposefully going to have fun. But if you're going to Applebee's, if you're going to Chili's, going to Old Chicago, somewhere along, along those lines, they, they dim the lights and they kind of put on some music. Now, we may not love the music that they put on as Christians, but they, they put on some music and it's designed to basically just, just relax you so that you can enjoy your atmosphere and enjoy the time. But you know what's interesting is it doesn't take long for our eyes to adjust to the darkness. You know, after just a little bit of time. At first, you're like, whoa, I can't see anything. But give it 15, 20, 30 seconds, and all of a sudden, your eyes have dilated. Now they're, they're 
lives. When we allow a little bit of darkness, a little bit of sin into our lives, soon and very soon, we begin to adjust to it. You know, the things that used to be, that, that Christians would stand up against, that used to be wrong in, in, a, in our Christian world are accepted nowadays. We accept things that a, a decade ago, two decades ago, just a generation ago, would have been completely removed from Christian circles. Not because it was a preference necessarily, but because it's very clearly wrong in the Word of God. But now we accept it. There's the problem. We aren't finding the will of God or we're not living the will of God because we don't have that militant attitude. We've not armed ourselves against sin. It's easy for Christians to get accustomed to sin instead of hating it and opposing it. So Peter says, listen, have this militant attitude towards sin and think about all that Jesus did for you. You know, that'll help you, won't it? When you stop and you consider what Jesus has done for you, when you stop and consider that he went to the cross and he took your place and he took your sin upon himself, and as he was nailed to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he took your entire sin debt. Everything you owed was nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. When you remember that, you know it's easier to have a militant attitude towards sin? Because think about it. Are you okay accepting the sin that Jesus Christ died for? Are you okay living in it? Well, you are if you neglect remembering all that Jesus it's easy to sin when I forget Jesus. But when I go, oh, that sin that enslaved me, I don't want to go back there. Because my Savior died for that sin. I, I don't want any part of that. Arm yourselves likewise with this mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. November 6th, 1915. In the Korean War, a battle was being waged on a hill. It was Hill 891. It was just named for the meters above sea level. So it was 891 meters. It was the, the crest of this hill. And so they named it Hill 891. And what was happening that night is the, the Marines were seeking to, to gain that hill and gain the upper ground. They were getting working their way up they were trying to work their way up the hill and flank the the chinese troops from both sides it was kind of crazy you're like wait a minute didn't you just say the korean war yes i did but at this point in time what has happened now is chinese troops have been unthinkable happened. A hundred or more enemy soldiers appeared along a crest and began to fire, get this, American Tommy guns at our own soldiers. The Marines took cover in every hole, every crater available. The main person in charge was a man by the name of Lieutenant Ream. He noticed a small break in the firing and he immediately commanded his troops to get up, to push forward, move up, move up, 
Before they regroup, he began to scream out. And in mass, the platoon sprinted up the crest. There was a squadron leader by the name of Ed Coderre. A couple of others had regrouped into a large shell hole to, to quickly figure out where they were, regroup, and then continue on as the lieutenant had cried out. But I don't know the structure. In the air, they, they, saw, they saw an arcing strike. And it landed right in the crater where Ed Coderre and two of his soldiers were. Immediately they realized, grenade! And they started to, to run up that shell crater. But Sergeant Coderre, without thinking without doing anything else, immediately dove on that grenade and he sacrificed his life to save his, Marine, his fellow Marines. One of the Marines was a man by the name... Sorry, I said it wrong. Lieutenant Reen sacrificed himself. Ed Coderre did not. I apologize. Lieutenant Reem sacrificed himself. Ed Coderre couldn't grasp, though, that thought. That his commanding officer, the officer that was leading the charge up that hill, would fall upon a grenade and sacrifice his own life for those of his soldiers. And Ed Coderre struggled with that for a long time during the Korean conflict, during the Korean War. But you know, in much the same way, our Savior did that for us, didn't he? With our sin debt destroying us, already under the condemnation of God, he dove and he sacrificed himself willingly on the cross for us. You know what that did for Ed Coderre the rest of the Korean War? It made him serve even greater. It made him serve even stronger. Because his life was saved because somebody else's sacrifice. You know, in our own Christian lives, I think sometimes we struggle with allowing sin into our lives because we have forgotten what Jesus has done for us. And we've got to get there. We've got to understand that. How can we enjoy that which made Jesus suffer and die on the cross? Bible says in Romans chapter 6, Likewise, reckon ye yourself, also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of, right, of righteousness unto God. You know, these verses basically say that as you yield to God, as, instead of sin, you're going to automatically have that militant attitude against sin. Because as you yield to God, you're going to realize, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to associate myself with that. I want to live unto God. But it takes that yielding, it takes that willing desire. Having a militant attitude towards sin is something that we have to grasp onto tonight. But I think Satan has created a, a problem in, in our mind's eye. And that problem is this. We think the will of God is some boring thing. So many Christians think that to do God's will means I sacrifice fun. To do God's will is, means I've got to give up my life and I've got to live a boring life the rest of my life. And I kind of wonder and I go, why do people think that? 
And then I look and I, I see, oh, that's probably the way that their parents acted. And it's probably the way that other people within their lives acted. They were like, oh, we've got to go to church again. Oh, we've got a, a missions conference. Oh, it's so hard. It's so much work. Oh, I forgot. I've got to go serve. We've got to go to outreach. Pastor keeps pounding it. Keeps saying, you've got to come to gate. You've got to, oh. You know what that does for your children? You know what it does to others around them? It discourages them. It, it makes it look like God and his work is a bore. And it's a problem. But yet Psalm 1611 says that there's pleasures forevermore at God's right hand. That when you serve God, there's more joy, more excitement there than there is in the, the world and the lusts thereof. You know, we, I think Satan has blinded us to this idea that God's will is boring. And so Peter here, and he's saying, listen, I want you to enjoy the will of God. Look at verse 2, that he, he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. The will of God is not some burden that the Father places on us. Rather, it's, it's his goal, his purpose for us, that he says, listen, if you'll do this, you're yoking up with my son, and that yoke is easy. That burden is light, Matthew 11 says. But when you try to do it on your own, when you go out after the lust of your own flesh, there's, there's pain with that. There, there's sorrow with that. The way of the transgressor, the Bible says, is hard. When you transgress God, it comes with baggage. It comes with suffering. It comes with difficulty. The will of God doesn't. It comes with joy. And we live on the promises of God. We remember what Christ has done for us. It's these things that help us fight and have that militant attitude. Peter says, arm yourselves. So tonight, I want to challenge you. If, you, if you're going to live the will of God for your life, you've got to arm yourself with a militant attitude towards sin. You've got to look at sin and say, I want nothing to do with that. It will not have a part of my life. Look at these sins that Peter lists in verse 4. Or, I'm sorry, verse 3. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. These things are some of the most evil and horrific sins. In fact, that, that word abominable there at the end of verse 3 is the word illegal. It gives you this idea that the, these, the worship that these Gentiles were doing was actually illegal. What they were doing was so wicked that even the Gentile world said, no, 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 we don't want anything to do with that. You know, you may not have been the, the most wicked person in the world, but see, there's the problem. When you accept that, well, I'm not as bad as this, you've lost the battle. Because you're no longer fighting against sin, you're accepting it. When you look at others and you compare your life to other people, well, I'm pretty good. Well, I do this. Well, I do that. Well, they don't do this, so I must be better. And we begin to accept sin instead of having that militant attitude that Peter says, listen, arm yourselves. Get ready for the battle. Prepare yourself for this thing. You know, we see this, this militant attitude that we've got to have towards sin. Arm yourselves. But then I want you to understand something as well that's going to help you as you fight and as you live the Christian life. Not only do we have to have a militant attitude if we're going to, to live the will of God, but you've got to have patience towards the lost. 
Continue reading with me in verse 4, if you would, please. Wherein they, the Gentiles, the lost, think it strange that ye run not with them to the same end as the rest. Judged according to, to men in the flesh, but live according to the God in the spirit. And the lost have this lack of understanding. It's very interesting that the last words Peter says, they don't even understand why you don't want to party like they want to party. Have you ever read that? Especially those of you that, that were saved maybe as an adult later in life. And maybe you had lived some of this life, this excess of rioting, this party lifestyle. That, that that was what you craved and that was what you went for. It was very interesting. M Missy and I go to the gym late at night, uh, around 9, 10 o'clock at night, when we put the kids down and it's like, okay, now we can decompress a little bit. So we decompress by going and pressing. I don't know. But, you know, it's very interesting. Did you know that on Friday and Saturday night, those are the, the nights where there's hardly anybody at the gym? Monday, same time. We, we go at the same time. Monday, it's packed. Tuesday, it's packed. Friday and Saturday night. Nobody's there. It's actually my favorite nights to go work out because there's nobody there. It's so much nice. It's so nice. But why? Because they're going after the party. They're going after the excess of rioting. And, and you know they think it's weird, Stephen? They go, why don't you want to come with me? Uh, why do, I, I don't understand this. This is fun. This is exciting. You have to be a fool not to want to come party with us. They don't get it. That, that's what verse 4 is saying. They think it's strange. And then they go, and then they make fun of you. And then they mock you, and they ridicule you. And they think you're an idiot. I can't believe you've got religion. You know, you've heard pastors say that about his own testimony. Randall got religion. You know? It's this, I, they can't understand. You see, you know what Peter's saying? Have patience with them. Have patience with them. Even though we do not agree with their lifestyles, we don't participate in their sins. I mean, God's word is clear on those things, but we are to be long-suffering with them. We are to be patient towards them. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We've got time tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I, I want you to see something. You see, they don't understand it because Satan's blinded them. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 3 with me, if you would, please. But... If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom, why, why would it be hid? Why would they not see it? In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. They're completely oblivious to it because Satan's blinded them. They don't realize it because Satan has blinded them. You know why we've got to be patient and long-suffering with them? Because Satan's blinded them. Whenever you yell and scream and get mad and angry, well, you're an idiot for calling me an idiot. You know, because they're going to attack you. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. They are going to speak evil of you. When you attack them back in the same way, and you lower yourself to their standard, you know what that does? See, I told you, there's nothing different with them. And then it makes them angry. What Bible says in, in Proverbs 15 that a soft answer turns away wrath, 
But grievous words, you know what they do? Oh, they stir that pot. Yeah, they stir up anger. So when you snap back at them, when you yell at them, when you mock them, when you ridicule them, all it does is stir up anger. And I see this in our political world all day long. And it drives me up the wall. One person says one thing, and so, you know, the other person's got to say something negative against that person. It just continues on back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But, you know, we're in the middle of a recall potential here in, in Brighton. You know, those of you that live in Brighton proper, whether we're going to recall our mayor or not, and I'm not going to go into what, you know, I'll talk to you later if you want to know my own personal opinion about it. But, you know, all I hear is yelling and screaming. Yelling and screaming. Yelling and screaming. That's what people do nowadays. So we've got to be different, my friends. You know, 1 Peter chapter 3, it ends there with, with if you want to live life and, and see good days, you've got to refrain your tongue from evil and your lips that they speak no guile, Peter says. We have got to learn to be patient with the lost. You know, they're speaking evil of you, the end of verse 4, but verse 5 says, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? Well, Peter just reminds us, hey guys, they're yelling at you, they're screaming at you, they're speaking evil of you, they're making fun of you, you know, but one day they're going to stand before Jesus Christ himself, who's going to judge the quick and the dead, and they're going to give an account of everything they've done. They're going to give an account of that time where you tried to witness them, and you tried to help them, and you tried to be For, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. That they might be judged according to men in the flesh. You know, the Mormons and other religions have created this, this idea, and this is even where Catholicism gets the, the idea of purgatory from. That the gospel is preached to the dead. But what Peter is saying is it's not Jesus or not you and I going down and preaching to dead souls in hell that they may have a chance to repent. No, it's too late for them. When this life is over, it's too late. They don't have another opportunity. Witnessing is critical for us. But, but Peter is saying, listen, those that have died, because remember, he's writing to those that have suffered persecution. Those that are scattered abroad because of the persecution, this entire passage, this entire book is written to. He says, there are those that, that, that God's word was preached to those that are now dead. There's a difference between preaching to a dead person and preaching to a live person that is now dead. And that's what Peter's referring to. If you pull away the context of the persecution that's hit the church, you can create a false doctrine out of this verse. But when you stop and you go, well, what's the context? What's Peter dealing with here? He's dealing with people that have lost loved ones because they were murdered. Because somebody persecuted the church for the sake of Christ. So verse 6 is dealing with, with that idea, but understand something. Unsaved friends may speak evil of us. They may even oppose us, but God is the final judge. The gospel was preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. You and I have, get, have to get to the place in our lives where we have a militant attitude towards sin. 
where we fight and fight and fight against it. We don't accept it. Don't ever accept sin. It's not okay. It's not, you know, parents, it's not a phase your child is going through. It's sin, and it needs to be dealt with. It's not, oh, you know, everybody's got to go through this. No, no, they don't. Have a militant attitude towards sin. Don't allow it in your home. But also understand something. Those lost loved ones that you have, those lost friends that you have, be patient with them. One day this life is over and they stand before God. They're blind. Peter is trying to help these Christians understand that. Don't attack back. They're blind. Show them the love of Christ. I conclude with this, this long illustration, but very important. During the Korean War, there was a Marine by the name of John Parkinson. He went by the nickname of Red. Parkinson was with his troop defending a hill known as 1403. Again, same reason why 891 was named 891. 1403 was a higher hill. It was later on in the war. The battle began on November 27, 1965. This was Red's birthday. To make matters worse, the weather was a frigid negative 20 degrees. As darkness came, so did the Chinese soldiers. Much fighting had already taken place, and the Chinese soldiers continued to come in great force against the American Marines holding the hill. Wave after wave, attack after attack, had thinned the Marine lines to almost non-existent. But they're Marines. And they were told, hold the hill. After holding off another attack, the Marines had regrouped near the bank of a frozen creek bed. There was a man by the name of Gunnery Sergeant Devins. He was the, the acting commander over that group at this time. He went up and down the line, gathering everything he could for his soldiers to defend the hill. As he went down the line, he stopped at, at Sergeant Devins, a World War II vet, and asked him to send a few men out from the line to reconnoiter. Those of you not in the Marines, like me, because I didn't know what that meant. That means to observe where the enemy was and where the attack would begin. And truly, Sergeant Devins knew that this was going to be a suicide mission. So Sergeant Devins did what a Marine does. He refused to let others go and face this danger alone. So he asked Red's best friend, Charlie Ward, who was a God-fearing Christian, to go with him. But prior to this night, Charlie had been faithfully witnessing to Red over and over and over again. And you know what Red did to Charlie? He kept blowing him off over and over and over again. You want to know what Red did to Charlie? He continued to try to convince Charlie that drinking and boozing up and having a great old time was the time of his life. And hey, when, when we're not fighting and we've got some downtime, get drunk, man. Go have fun. Go party it up. And he kept making fun of Charlie. He kept mocking Charlie. But Charlie stayed faithful. So Charlie said, yes, sir, Sergeant Devins. Sergeant Devins and Charlie went out to observe the enemy, and within a short time, through the darkness, two silhouettes were seen running toward the Marine lines. It was Sergeant Devins and Charlie. Charlie was six foot four. He, he was leaving Devin's way behind as he was running as fast as he could. Charlie made it back to, the time, back to the line and kept yelling for Sarge to keep running. Sergeant Devin's was five yards out when a burst of gunfire from the enemy ranks came. 
As bullets were zipping through the air, Devins leaned back like a baseball player to slide into the creek bed, and Red rose up to catch him. All of a sudden, crack. Sergeant Devins' head flew backwards, and his body flew forwards and landed right on Red. Blood spilling everywhere. In horror and panic, Red, Red began screaming, freaking out. Charlie literally grabbed Red, threw Sergeant Devon's body off of Red, jumped on Red trying to scream. Red flipped him off and was ready to attack Charlie. Charlie, screaming, finally got Red's attention and he yelled out, there's nothing you can do. He's with the Lord. And Red's anger welled up at the thought of God. But he came back to his senses and began fighting the enemy. That night, November 27th, the fighting continued to wage on. Chinese soldier, Chinese attack after Chinese attack. Red and Charlie somehow were still among the living, but they had been separated. As dawn approached, command gave the, gave the word to retreat and gather at, at the command base, which is about two miles down the road. Red, unaware that Charlie had made a decision to go back and look for his rocket launcher, began frantically looking for his best friend, but he could not find so that two-mile walk, exhausted, without any sleep, in frigid air, Red was forced to walk alone with his thoughts. The day is November 28, 1965. Later in life, Red wrote in a little Gideon Bible that the Gideons had given him at the beginning of the war, found my Lord, November 28. Red credits Charlie and his faithful testimony and refusal to quit preaching and glorify God with his newfound faith. What helped Red flip? Was it the war? No. He was mad at God. It was Charlie's faithfulness, who had a militant attitude towards sin. Charlie said, I will not go where you go. I will not do the things that you do. Because I love my Savior, I love my Jesus. And he kept preaching to Red. And Red got saved. What a blessing. You see, that's what'll happen. It doesn't happen all the time overnight. Maybe there's not a war raging that life's on the line. But you know, in the stillness, in the quiet, God will speak. And God will go through. And God will use you as a testimony to say, you see, I brought someone your way who lived the life I told him to live. So tonight, I want to encourage you. If you find God's purpose for you by having a militant attitude towards sin, arm yourselves, Peter says, but then being patient toward the lost. So as we close, there are some things we need to work on. Maybe you've accepted some sin. Maybe you, you've accepted some things that need to be removed. Hey, let's remove them. Maybe it's simply your attitude towards your lost loved ones, your family members, your friends. Can I, can I encourage you tonight? Have patience with them. Stick by the stuff, but have patience with them. And let God do his work. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you so much for your grace. Lord, I think back to even my own life. 
and I realize your patience, your mercy, your long-suffering with me. Father, help me to have that patience that you have. Lord, your word says that the servant of God is to be patient towards all men. God, they're blind. Father, in reality, they don't even realize they're doing this because Satan's blinded them. Oh, Lord, help us to show the love of Christ to them. God, I ask that you'd you'd remove the scales from their eyes that they would see Jesus. But help us to have the right testimony. God, I don't want to be the one that ruins salvation for people because my testimony's fake. Help me to be a faithful witness for you. As the piano begins to play, would you?